What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. I'm excited to have Cody Nance here today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a it's been a minute. We've been both kind of either on the injury train or you know haven't really crossed paths. We did what what event was it? Was it Memphis last year? Maybe there's one Velocity event. I think I saw you at. Yeah, yeah, it's been a couple of years ago. It wasn't Memphis, but uh, maybe Knoxville was it. It could have been. No- yeah, it could have been Knoxville. I think it was in Tennessee, so probably Knoxville. Yeah, um, if I'm mistaken, that was the one. Last time, uh, last time I dislocated my hip, I also dislocated my shoulder at the same time in the short round. Was that was that the one? I think that was the one. That okay. man, that that was wild too. Oh man, yeah. I mean, and and it was awesome because I was I was you know just making my return. I think I was sitting on the velocity events and and but then like yeah, I mean you know it's a rough sport. You're going through some stuff as it is, but um you know, on that recovery train. Um, gosh, it's just, uh, you know, it sucks when you complete a good bull ride and, and you go to get off of one and then the injury occurs. And and twice I dislocated my hip in that way. And that was one of them. But. Yeah, man, that does suck. Because I think it's more you almost question, I don't know about you, but you almost question yourself like, hey, wh- how, what could have I done better on my get off to prevent that? Because it wasn't, you know, there's times where it's like, hey, this was going to happen, period. Like, you get stepped on, you know, you you buck off, you know, that's just part of it. But when you make a good bull ride, like, you had an opportunity, you feel like. <laughs> you know, I mean, you buck off and you never know. It's, you're not you're not supposed to land on your feet and get off good. If, you know, you're supposed, supposed to eat dirt if you ain't trying. If you're trying, you know, if you ain't trying, it shows. Uh, but I mean, yeah, when you, when you complete a bull ride and you ride a good one, that's, you should focus on, you know, finishing the job and getting off. Well, Uh, too many people I've seen these days, they don't, they just let go and, and, you know, Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I mean, honestly, uh, yeah, my career's been that way a lot. But, um, man, you, you know, me and me and Keith talk about looking down the barrel and there's like certain riding styles where, you know, if you're cutting them off and you're kind of really using your hips and riding behind and you can do it, but every single round you have to be fully committed because there's almost like there's a longer period where you're not in control than, and I feel like there's a few guys that did that really well throughout their career. Sean Willingham did. I feel like you did that pretty dang well into your hand. Throughout your career, getting in that spot where you get tipped back, but you're able to fight through that. You know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, you just got to keep your hips under your rope. And I don't know. it. Um, I've been blessed throughout my career. Riding into my hand was never my strong point. I always liked him away from my hand. Now, um, when I started riding with a Brazilian rope, that changed. I ended up, I was able to ride better into my hand than I was away from it. Um, but I, well, back in July, I ripped my bicep tendon off and Dr. Tandy repaired that and had to anchor it down through the ona, And so that required him drilling a hole through my own and stitching all around my bicep tendon anchor and pulling it all back down. There's a flat plate ran through there and, and kept it tied down. He said it'd be a 1%, 1% chance it'd come off again. 
um, which I, I've always tried to eat good and keep myself in shape and yeah. I've always kind of been flexible, um, especially, you know, to be an older guy, like I'm probably still one of the most flexible guys on tour. I've, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, keep my body in motion, um, which I think is important, obviously, in the game of bull riding, because if you don't, then, you know, you, it's it's a game of, you know, you always hear people say it ain't um, if you get hurt, it's when and how bad. And so, you know, <laughs> that recovery time obviously can be shortened if you're already in shape and, yeah. and you don't much of that strength and flexibility if you kind of overdo it and you're over, you know, you've overdone it to begin with. And so I've always tried to put a lot of work and, and time into that, you know, and I've been blessed throughout my career, you know, and, you know, not having to worry about too many injuries and, oh, until the last probably five, six years. And yeah. so, um, I just feel like, uh, you know, into my hand, been able to set my hips under my rope and, and lift on it. It keeps me from overriding them. Cause I, I have a tendency into my hand to get in there too much and it's harder for me to get out. So I kind of let them bulls pack me around and bring me around and that I'm, you know, kind of strong enough to be able to be able to hold myself there. So, and I've always been pretty solid with my feet too. Um, I, you know, strong legs and get a hold well and have a good foundation. And I think that helps also. I, but, when I- when I first started, I think I probably looked up to you as like maybe out of all those guys, you triplet, you know, because I started in 2012, so you would have been like in you know right there. And you what you won Rookie of the Year in what 2009? Is that correct? Yeah. So well, I was I graduated in the year in 06, and and in 2009 is the year I made it on tour. I got hurt there in between. I got rib put through my lung and spent 14 days in the hospital that was the year before i made it on tour so that was my first big injury and uh yeah i mean it was kind of rocky coming back from those you know you always kind of you'll ten- have tendencies to get in your head and i don't know it just uh i was pretty determined i was going to make world finals and and so that next year i ended up i got a job hanging guardrail nice. and uh i you know what i'd <laughs> I was as strong as I'd ever been in my whole career, in my whole life. I could pick up a 350 pound head off guardrail that we cut off and throw it over the guardrail into the trailer, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I, and the good thing is, the guy that he owned the company, he was from San Antonio, Texas, CJ Stavanoa. And he says, uh, Cody, he says, You're a bull riding machine. You've rode everything I got. He says, Are you going to go PBR or what? And, I was like, well, you know, I got hurt last year, and and I said, I'm I'm just trying to get my bearings back. I really just am taking this time to save some money and stuff. And he goes, well, he goes, if you really, uh, if you really want to go PBR, he says, uh, here we are in the summer. He says you can make it. He he says I'll call my dad next week and have you in Victoria, Texas. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I went down there and I ended up entering it twice. Lane Fulton got me in. And, I think I ended up second and third and, and then went to Clovis, California and won that like Elliot Jacoby met him there. Uh, and he ended up winning second. So we jumped in the vehicle together, headed, or no, I, I went first, he went second. And, um, then we went to Brighton 
uh, California, I think it was, and the next night, and I ended up second there, and then I got the call to Worcester, Massachusetts, and uh, I remember going to Worcester, and uh, the first night, they kind of handed it to me. I don't know, maybe I was just in my head a little bit, but the next night, I ended up riding really nice, but away from my hand, and, and then the next weekend, I remember uh, I they they lost my gear bag at the airport. Oh, dang. <laughs> Yeah, so you show up to the bit, you get to the big show, and, and you don't and have you, your stuff. Get on these rank suckers, and and um, anyway, I got it handed to me pretty bad, <laughs> and so my stuff shows up the next day, and uh, I ride a uh, Bird Creek, uh, uh, Jeff Robinson's for ninety and a half, ninety one and a half, something like that, and then the next weekend I go to uh, what was it? Um, um, Oh, that was my third built Fort Tough event back back in the day of built Fort Tough. Wasn't yeah, it? the BFTS. Yeah, yep. that's yeah, that's cool. funny. <laughs> yeah, kids nowadays don't even know that, which is funny because when I started up, I didn't really understand the Bud Light Cup because that was way before I even had watched bull riding. Yeah, well, it, when I was I was watching on TV, that's what it was. It, it was the Bud, Bud Light. Light. Yeah, <laughs> it was built for tough and. I think so then, I got a that my my first year going was was a BFTS, and I think it was the year after maybe or the year after that when they changed it to the UTB. So I caught the yeah. last couple of years of it. <laughs> yeah, that that was probably around the time we met, wasn't it? Yep, around two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's crazy how how things just clicked real quick, you know there and. And my third Bill Ford Tough event, um, Adriano Morales was there, and he was kind of gunning for me, helped me out, and pulled my rope in the short round. And um, I didn't really know what I was getting on in the short round. I, I didn't know any of them short round bulls. And LJ Jenkins, I knew he knew a bunch of them. <laughs> bulls, and so I was like, LJ, what should I pick? And he tells me, he says, oh, you should pick that super duty. He'll fit you good. Talking about hustler of HC pages, he'd never been rode before. <laughs> and I think Adriano might have just been a little scared for me. <laughs> he goes up, knock your lights out, you know. You got he, he tries to tell me, you know, and, and we go over the fundamentals of how this bull actually bucks. And I thought, man, this guy is a genius. <laughs> to, like, I knew his record, I knew his, his score, you yeah. know, um, his resume, and I was like, okay. Hey, I, I'm just soaking it in, you know, I'm about, what, 20, 21 years old, and um, and I I don't have the experience he has, you know, I, I started riding bulls when I was 14 years old, and and so, I, you know, I've gotten some good bulls under my belt, but nothing like that guy, and so I knew, he knew what he was talking about, <laughs> and he said, this bull here, he says, he'll push off that back end, and his front end will hit the ground, and then his front end's coming back up before his back end hits the ground, and then he's launching again, and I was like, okay, so uh, he says, and a lot of guys, they really want to go to the front, and what they'll do is they'll go to the front and try to overcompensate, and he'll get them rocking and jerk them down, knock the lights out. He says, hey, straight up and down, and just let him buck underneath of you. I'm like, if, you know, I've never met the guy before, and I'm just, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, sure enough, he pulled my rope and the bull belt out of there and he did his deal. And I did what Adri exactly what Adriano told me to do and it worked. And I was riding for like 91 and a half points. And heck, I enjoyed the ride so much. I picked him again later that year in Springfield, uh, Missouri. And I rode him again for like 90 and a half. And I was just loving it. <laughs> and, you know, it's fun, you know, because you, you've seen it. Um, you, you stick it on one of them suckers. And everybody else starts picking up on it. Yep. Well, then Austin Meyer ended up riding him. Yeah. A couple, maybe a couple more people ended up staying on him. But um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Like you, you know, you got them bulls, but uh, you can't let, let them get in your head. That's number one. You know, you got to know your your worth. You got to know what you're capable of, and and keep the basics and the fundamentals the same every time you get on one. I think that's one of the biggest things, too. I, I never thought about that, but really speaking volumes to the mental side of this sport, that happens a lot. There's a lot of these bulls that will have pretty long streaks, and then they get rode one time, and then game over. Everybody starts having their number, and it has to be it has to be a mental, psychological thing that's going on there. It really I'm, does. Yeah, the bulls can be scary. And then, I mean, you think about it, too. You, you've heard all the... Um, uh, motivational videos and things like that and okay you know that i don't know all the statistics but um such and such ran you know a mile and you know this amount of time and thought they thought well that can never be broken right well until somebody did it and then somebody was like oh, did it so i can do it you know and and then they started break and then it, you know you look at that and and that makes it awesome i you know i look up to guys like jose victor lemme you know because he comes in here and sets the bar so high yeah. and and it makes you know it really does make everybody else step up to their game and, and the expectations just, there yeah yeah i mean you have if you're going to be the best you got to ride the best and beat the best i think that's one of the biggest things too be, that I've seen throughout my career between the Velocity Tour and the UTB or the Built for Tough um, is that mentality. My favorite part about going to UTB events is uh, obviously you're getting on the, the good bulls, but you, you get on them at some of the velocities. But the biggest difference is every single person in that locker room wants to win, just period. Where if you go and to some of those lower level events, there may be a couple guys there that really want to win. And everybody else is somewhere in between just being there just to get on at a PBR and just kind of being there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and some of that's just going through the bait. Like, I don't know if they feel like they're, they belong there, you know, yeah, it's, that's, the, that's what you're talking about. You know, everybody in that locker room, they feel like they belong there. Yeah. And that's what's about it because they're all bringing their A game. You can tell. They when they get ready when they and they're getting on that bull, you know you'll have one or two of them guys that are kind of like them bulls. It's their first time there, and the fireworks go off, and they're like, "Ooh, get a little shaky," you know. <laughs> but it don't take long to figure out whether they're going to stick around or not. Yeah, and yeah, that's I'm, man, that's true. I was I was talking to Kyler was it last week, Oliver, and we were talking about that. I said there's only a few amount of guys out there that really want to get to that level and do it every weekend like yeah. every only so many guys want to get on them bulls that are freaking monsters and are freaking shaking you know and their muscles are twitching because they're so freaking yeah I don't, I don't, feel... not roided out but that's kind of the the you know like freaking their diets on point these are athletes <laughs> yeah yeah 
I, you know, and some of the guys that I I started out with, uh, you know, were as close to expert level as I had ever met, you know, around me. When they when they knew that I was trying to get on the tour on the PPR tour, they said, you know, they they also live a good aspect of you know this, and I think it's kind of one thing that I've always remembered. Um, and it's probably been a huge, uh, I don't know, you think about, about that mental block and, you know, whether you do belong or, you know, um, or you get there and you and you see some people, they're like a firecracker. They get there and they're like, wow, and then they did good and then they're gone. And, but they but they, uh, they put it in me. They was like, well, yeah, anybody can make it there. But what's really impressive, is the ones that get there and they stay there yeah yeah no joke you look at jb mooney you look at glaramy marchie and joe alvira you know and joel and you know he's making a good run to make that happen but you're looking at jb made 14 world finals yeah. so did my so did glaramy and and so i i find not the wins uh, or the consecutive rides or, you know, the consistency or any of that being my, my greatest achievement. I look at it being like, okay, well, I'm not even rookie of the year in 2009. I did, you know, I was up against Douglas Duncan and Stormy Wing and, and Stormy, another one of them guys, you know, yeah. for a long time and, and really showed out and ended up on top, you know, on his way out, you know, wrote old bruiser for what, 95 and a half point Albuquerque. Was and, that about uh, the same time as Chase too, Outlaw? Chase was a little bit younger. He came in okay. a, a year, two years later. And, and you know, you look at him and, and just that that time that you spend there, that duration is, you know, it, it that's the most challenging part is, you know, year in, year out. You're looking at back in, you know, they just changed it. But we were going 30 events a year. And then yeah. uh, all summer long, and that's and that's a big weekend, you know. Uh, every time you go, you're looking at what three, two to five bulls in a weekend, yeah. in the best world. And then they implemented the fifteen, fifteen. We're like, did we? Yeah. That? <laughs> so I mean, you know, it beats you up, and and you got to keep going. And and I don't have the quite as many as them. I got twelve world finals in me, but I'm I'm thankful for everyone every time you know I've made it, and you know it's it's been a just it's a grueling uh, match every time you get on one of them bulls at that level. Yeah, I think and too, so. Like the, the testament to your you know the the fitness side of things and like being able to physically be able to do that that's impressive too because there's guys that even have the talent but they physically just couldn't hold it together. You know, and you're talking at the beginning of the year where, like, before the split, you had a full year. You legitimately, even if you had a, you know, shoulder reconstruction, which is one of the longer recoveries, you're looking at six, seven months, you still have a chance to make the world finals in the a little amount of time that you can ride. Right, so, yeah. You know. And, um, yeah, it was uh, January. We'd start out at, Ma at Madison Square Garden. And then we'd take our break in uh, what late May and early June, and then we'd start back up in August and go all the way to November, and that'd be our World Finals. And 
Yeah, you I probably mean, win it, the summertime a lot too, though. That probably actually you probably got on more in the summer than you did in the spring and fall. Competition, see who could enter the most and get on the milk. <laughs> and um, just in PBR alone, I I get on close to 150 bulls in a year, and and I bet, um, yeah, I probably went to as many, uh, or I probably went to more rodeos during the summer than I went all year long just in those two months and yeah. I would end like stupid amount. Like I, <laughs> I, you know, I got on at the classic event and, uh, there in, um, was Gator? it Garland? Oh. Something like that. I think I entered oh, it four yeah, times on eight, <laughs> you know? And, um, but I mean, it was kind of cool because I mean, it bettered my chances to win. And, and if you did real good, kind of like that event, you know, um, um, ended up i placed a lot i think i only bucked off one of them but yeah. it was like added and i went on with eighty five hundred dollars i mean you can't yeah. beat that <laughs> and then uh Rap rapid city was it rapid city or now somewhere up there minnesota i guess it wasn't uh you know they kept saying well you want to get on this when you want to get on it because it'd be you know limited amount of entries and they wanted to fill the show and buck the bulls and i'm like running man i'm having a good week so yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I feel great. My body's healthy. Why not? You know, um, so being 20,000, I think I left like 14,000. So, I mean, you know, um, and and just, that doesn't do nothing but better your chances to win a world title. And, you know, I mean, that's that's where I'd get a lot of points for the for the year, too. And, you know, that was and a lot of money. I could win a lot of money during the summer doing that. So what was, uh, what was your. Oh, when you're going going hard, like obviously recovery and fitness has been such a huge part of what you've done, but like, what does that diet look like? Like, what's a diet look like when you're recovering from an injury, like your bicep injury now, opposed to when the regular season's going on? You know, how do you maintain that? That because there's definitely a difference when you're on the road all the time, and then yeah. when you're trying to mend. Yeah, and be honest, I don't really focus on the. I mean, I'll, I think I just, I think the uh, diet, I mean, I meant the training regimen, not, not diet. Your diet's training. important. Yeah. Like what does that look like as far as maintaining, you know, you know, whatever that's endurance, you know, what are you trying to maintain in the regular season? And then what are your kind of focuses when you're recovering from injuries? Well, to be honest, I, I really try to give my body a break during the off season okay. and it'll, you know, three or four weeks before I'll really start pushing myself, which I know, you know, working out is important, but I think, I think the way you eat is just as equally sure. important. If not. And yeah, uh, whatever you put in your body is what you get out of. And so um, I think, you know, just focusing on maintaining the right weight uh, is my big thing. And, and if I can tell if I'm fluctuating around, you know, and I know when to cut back from salt because salt, you know, causes you to retain water, which retaining water slows you down. And, but you have enough in you because it, you know, creates a, you know, elasticity in your muscles. And so if you're dehydrated, there's, you know, chance you're going to end up tearing a muscle or ripping something and so you gotta you gotta find that happy medium and whatever works for you some people retain water more than others um but i i like to 
stick with my omega threes, you know. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you got you got to have those omega threes. Uh, that really helps, you know. And and being an older guy, I'm fixing to be thirty six this month, and so you know, you, you want that flexibility. It's good for your brain, good for uh, everything. And so you know, you you want that. Your fatty uh, acids, you know, you want your um, you don't you don't want a ton of carbs um but i noticed that you know going to those big events every weekend like that man i would try to not eat too much but i felt like i was so hungry and i needed to eat yeah. enough to make myself an opportunity to recover through the week right. so i would but i felt so weak by the middle of the weekend so I learned, uh, you know, just studying that, you know, I needed the, I needed those omega threes, I needed those fats, um, but I also needed carbs, and so I would try to implement some kind of carbs two to three days before the competition, and I would always try to keep my carbs down because I bulk up so quick, and now yeah. you know, so I found that like I discovered carb powder. And so I love the carb powder because I can drink it and my, my body absorbs it and it'll start carving up my muscles and it'll give me the energy to last through the weekend. And so that I don't get so fatigued. I think Andrew, did you talk to Andrew Alvidrez about that? He was telling, uh -uh. okay. He was telling at, me about that. He was telling yeah. me about the, cause I was talking to him. Um, when was this? I don't, I think it was at Sacramento, maybe. I don't know him and year I talked, last year, and he was telling me about it. But yeah, he's he's so fit. That guy, he's stout. And I remember when I met him, his legs were so big. Uh, he was just a young pup, and we were at Maxwell, New Mexico, bull riding school. And about the time I met Dalton Castle and them, like they were just young guys coming to the school. I was I was teaching the school and one of the instructors, yeah. but like. I was like, Andrew, I said, I was like, dude, you're, you're about too big. Like, you know, not fat, but like stout. Yeah, yeah stout. Wasn't he a state champion deadlifter or something like I that? Think, yeah, like, he did powerlifting. He did powerlifting when he was young. Legs were yeah. so big, I used to straddle the bull. <laughs> <laughs> he was having trouble. And, um, and so, you know, his legs were just massive and his shoulders and everything were so big. And I was like, man, you're, you're like you're not very tall and and you're built so strong like if you could just trim that down and yeah. be strong that would help you a ton you know and so andrew and i've we've always been tight and we've always been big on talking about all this um you know physical the physical aspect and and the mental part you know yeah we get it we, <laughs> but it's been so you know you talk about too like the recovery i feel like i've unintentionally become an expert just on freaking like recovering from major injuries like yeah. there's so much that happens to your body when you have these surgeries and stuff that, like people don't <laughs> really like my my thing is like people when people ask me like when i'm going to be done re riding bulls i'll probably want to ride bulls longer than i will and i'll probably retire when i don't feel like i can recover the way that i should so if i go into a, a you know a, a, a surgery or whatever i'm off four or six months and i don't feel like i have the motivation to recover really well to come back that's probably when all because there's so much that goes goes into it like how are you building up strength and like you were talking about you know and, and i don't know if 
people need to realize how important it is to understand your body and what's going on. Understand where you're at, you know, with hydration, where you're at with size. Like I've dabbled with different sizes in writing and I know what I feel like at specific sizes and, and with specific diets. I feel like not enough bull riders really take into consideration how important that is, you know, not just to maintaining health, but to recovering once you get hurt. Yeah. And I, I'm about five, nine. I think you might be just a little taller than me. Yeah, I'm five eleven, six foot. Yeah. And, um, what do you weigh uh, when, what do you like to weigh when you're riding? So I, I, I got down to where I really like to be around 145. But to be honest, I think this next time I'm going to I'm going to put some more muscle on and I'm probably going to get up closer to 165, 170. The heaviest I've ever been is 190. And I thought that was too much. I was up to 190 once and I was I would ride pretty decent, but I just felt a little slower. Yeah. Yep. And you hit the ground a lot harder. I felt like, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I'm. I think I like to be around 165, 170, the personal. That's about where I, I maintain. I like to, if I, you know, if I'm at the 170, I like to have a lot of my strength, my weight in my legs, you know, yeah. for me. But I don't blow up either. So, like, I, I, I'm, you know, like, I'm eating a lot. Like, when I get up to that weight, you know, and I'm, and it's a strong, healthy weight, like, I'm not, I'm not too bulky, you know, I'm still a thin, like it takes me, like when I got up to 190, I was pretty big, you know, but yeah. not as big as you would be at 190 because I'm six inches taller than you are. Oh, but yeah. There's, I mean, There's a lot of that that goes into it. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, I look like Andrew is a power lifter. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that, but like I, it worked for me for a while, you know, yeah. um, like I said, I just didn't like that because I didn't feel as agile and, you know, as caddy. Um, I could muscle them bulls a bit, uh, but you can't muscle some of them. You know, there's there's different yeah. bulls. bulls. <laughs> yeah. For me, I think the hardest part about keeping that weight, on, especially on the road, for me, is like how much I have to actually eat to keep that weight. So when I am at 170 and I'm at, I'm at athletic 170, then... I feel like my diet's really hard to maintain on the road. And so that's where, like, if I drop down and I go a full size down at, like, 145, that's 15, that's quite a bit, you know, lower in weight. But it's easily maintained. I can maintain that weight really, really easy. <laughs> I know by the end of summer, like, it was easy for me to keep the same weight, like, January to May. But then... When I started, you know, June and July summer run, man, by the end of the summer, I probably had already lost 10 pounds yeah. of that. <laughs> That's what you're saying. It was, uh -huh. it was uh, my, I could see it in my face. I could see it everywhere, you know, and, yep. and, but I couldn't feel it because I think, because I was getting on so many bulls that I was able to maintain that strength. Yeah. And then, you know, but I do notice, I did notice that, after like hunting season, you know, after the winter break, you know, we would have that, the finals in November. And then I would, I would be out in the woods. I would hunt and I'd be packing and, you know, gear and everything else. My legs would just be so strong. And, yeah. you know, I seemed like whenever I started the year, that was always 
uh, man, I always probably started January better than I did in August. You know, <laughs> harder the second half of the year to maintain probably everything that I had gained during hunting season. During hunting season, yeah. Yeah. What's your yeah. big hunter too? I am. Yeah, I was yeah. actually so this year because I heck I was I just messed my shoulder up, but I had surgery on my ankle in June, and yeah. so this year's hunting season, like I just got you know, to where I could go hunting and stuff. And, uh, I ended up shooting one and it was on the other end of my property, which it's only like 15 acres, but it's all the way uphill. And I drug that sucker all the way up and I got up to the top and I was freaking, my lungs were burning so hard. I'm like, man, this really yeah. took a toll on my freaking cardio. Like I need to get my endurance back just cause the ankle, there was so, I, there wasn't a lot I could do for, you know, my cardio at that point. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I had to pack one up a hill about 150 yards on my shoulders this this winter through yeah. the woods, and, and it was a lot. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a real big body deer, but man, it was it was enough. <laughs> and I hadn't been able to do that in a while because I've had the shoulder injury, you know. And yeah. um, last year I actually got that fixed in August. How um, many? How many? Is that your first shoulder? Oh, well, I've dislocated it three times in competition. It's just started falling. I woke up. Out. It was out, and I got it. I worked it back in, and then I was stretching one night, one evening, and then it came out. And uh, I was pushing my mechanical bull in the trailer when you know last year, and and it just came out. And so I was like, man, I have to get this thing worked on and fixed. And um, it would. I also like. <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty bummed the last time it came out in competition because it would have been my 300th qualified ride on tour. I'd been the 20th guy to ride my 300, you know, on the elite. <laughs> and I had just gotten through 299 the night before. And that was during the ride. I had him knocked out. It was up in Billings, Montana. And he goes back the other way and I make my move and it just pops out. And that time it actually fractured my humerus head yeah. and uh, I got the MRI and stuff and came back. My rotator cuff was 95% torn. My labrum was torn off and oh, Dr. Tandy done a great job getting all that fixed up. But, you know, you talk about putting a damper in your hunting season. Um, hey, I, I got through hunting season this time, but I, it was it's still bow season right now. So I was going yeah. out hunting and then freaking that happened. And now I did definitely did my rotator cuff. Cause I can't even, I can't even pick my hand up high enough to I, see it. <laughs> oh, back. Um, I couldn't shoot a gun. Cause that's, yep. that's, part that's, of, that's, that's the one. <laughs> I did. And, um, in fact, I went to get my, I was checking on my, my date for my hunting license. And I think I ended up getting my hunting license like the last week of the season. So my hunting license is still good from last year. Yeah. <laughs> earlier this year, technically. Um, but it is, uh, yeah. Um, so I probably won't have to buy my hunting license this year. It won't, it won't end until won't nearly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I didn't get to hunt all all winter hardly last year. Um, so I've been trying to hit it hard this this winter and get out there. It's just a good. Have you, how much have you shot? Have you shot many or? Uh not really. I've been after this one, so I've let a bunch of them walk. Okay. Yeah. And 
Yeah, this one, he's really kind of been playing with me a bit. <laughs> They'll do that, he's, especially the mature, the mature bucks, man. Mature deer, and he's got about 2,000 acres there to run on. And yeah. <laughs> A handful of times, but I've never been able to get him pinned down. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I'm hoping uh, maybe, I don't know, he's been pretty hot on the dough. So, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe he'll be easier to cap on whenever uh, whenever he slows down. Then, yeah, it definitely. That's one thing, too, is everybody gets so focused on the rut. I feel like during rut, my property... It's like just going out there and gambling. It's just a, just a, I, I mean, you're just gambling on whether you're going to see anything worth shooting or what you're going to see. Whereas pre and post rut, like they're in a routine. And if you've got a trail cam out there, you can kind of track them. You can get an understanding of how their movement, movement is and where they're moving and when. I almost prefer that, especially them big deer like that. Although yeah. some of them big deer, you don't hardly see them in daylight, but in rut, you know, you may see them. Yeah, true that. But I mean, I think if you hunt them too hard too, that that's the problem. They yeah, start working. Right. Yeah. And that's nice though about being on that much property is you're not dealing with a ton of hunting pressure outside of what you're putting on them. Yeah, I actually, I I I don't really use cameras or nothing like that. So um, I like I keep pretty, I like to keep it more organic. Oh keep yeah. It fun. Yeah, and so. Um, I'm liable to go hit a hillside and just sit on the tree here mm -hmm. or something. Um, but I actually discovered this deer on horseback. I got a non-sided mare and she ended up, she hired him. I think it was probably about 75 to a hundred yards out and she just stopped and she stuck the mirrors up and she was like, I was like, oh, what is it, honey? And <laughs> So she was just kind of like watching in the area and I rode over that way. Well, there's this thicket. I mean, it was, it, you couldn't see through it. Um, and that I found out that's where he likes to hang out. I've been seeing a bunch of rugs and rugs back there. And he's just been, he's, I think that's his honey hole. That's where he yeah. likes to hang out. Yeah, and then mature bucks will find them little spots like that, that are super sick and you wouldn't ever see him. <laughs> Uh, and it's surrounded by a hillside, you know, it goes yep. like just on the hill right in the edge of the woods. And so I've been seeing a bunch of trees worn out. And I just know he's been, you know, been running all over this property. And now, you know, whenever, whenever, like you said, rut slows down, he'll probably venture back up to that spot. And, yeah, probably. And, but yeah, he's, he's pretty good size. Do you oh, I'm how, much, how much do you eat? Do you eat mostly venison? Do you how many deer do you generally go through a year? Just as far as meat wise? Uh, a couple at least. Oh. I'll I'll grind up and yeah, a couple at least. I'll grind up uh, deer meat and yeah. I like to kill a couple and, and things like you know, but just because I like the meat quality better. Um super lean. But I'll try. Deer is very lean. Yeah. And I and I don't know the the doe they they eat better you know but yeah yeah especially no. in a mature like if you're hunting a mature buck they're not going to eat as good no and I'll make a jerky out of them you know and, and yeah. grind some of it up yeah I mean um, like their tenderloins and back straps are still freaking killer so <laughs> but I'll but like a doe I'll I'll keep up you know the hindquarters whatever mate I can get the biggest slab of lean mate I can I like to cube it up and. I'll uh I'll cook it really rare. I'll just sear yeah. it. Uh -huh. and, uh, 
yeah and, i like that and I, even heck and it doesn't even, for me it doesn't even matter like so if it, it, you get a tender cut and it, it stays tender but even if you get freaking you know one of their hips or whatever and you cube that up and throw it in a pan and just 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 to sear it like that you eat it right away that sucker's still pretty tender especially if you do that pretty soon after you've killed it yeah i really like doing that I, and i'll uh last year I actually took um I was up at Loretta Lynn's for a weekend and I took a smoker up there and I took out of my freezer, you know, my, uh, or my, um, I had a Yeti cooler there with a deer that's all quartered up. Well, I would take and I'd cook those quarters. I'd sit there and I'd smoke those quarters up. And once the outside, I could tell it smoked up pretty good. I'd cut it off and I had my, uh, I'd use, olive oil my marinade and stuff like that and on one end of my smoker right over the fire right over my coals i'd had a cast iron plate there and i just sear it and i'd put it in the bag and i yeah. froze it that way okay so yeah i put up a bunch of meat like that last year and i think i'll try that again, try it's that good. again. yeah that's interesting because yeah. it's, it's nice like it's all cubed up and, and yeah. cut up, and I, I did as a stew that way. If I if I wanted a steak, I'd have one ready. I could just pull it out of the freezer, and it's all you know portionized. Where sure. I, you know, I guess I don't know. It's pretty nice to have it like that, and you, I have a new way of. Do you process? Have you always processed all yours? We all we've always done it. I don't. I've never taken anything to a processor, but have you? Yeah. I think I've only taken one deer ever to the processing plant. Yeah, just doing it yourself. I, I'm sure it's good taking it to the process. I, if you're wanting to mix, like I know some people, like uh, who was it? Brady Sims, <laughs> talking to Brady. He's like, you know, I don't mind deer hunting, but he's like, I don't taste, I don't like the taste of venison unless you mix a bunch of beef with it. And he said, then oh, you know, yeah. I just might as well just eat beef. So I guess there are people right. that prefer, you know, they, they may not, they may like venison, but not enough to really get that gaminess. Well, and some people don't like how lean it is because when they yeah. cook it down, they want more fat. And I'm like, well, that's the point in eating venison. Uh, but anyway, they'll they'll pork fat and grind it up in uh -huh. there, and I'm and that's fine, you know. But I, I like I the gamey. I like the gaminess to to wild game. So like, I if we do a lot of burger, we do a lot of burger, and and I, I personally do do too. I like it, you know, and um, I don't know. Yeah, and another thing, I I just know that when you take your deer to a processing plant, you don't really know what you're getting. What's up, everybody? I'm thrilled to announce a fantastic partnership between the Rodeo Wagon Podcast and Rodeo Life Official. Rodeo Life isn't just a coffee brand. It's a veteran-owned business that epitomizes the principles of hard work, dedication, and perseverance in all their products. As an avid consumer of Rodeo Life Coffee, I am proud to align myself with a company that mirrors my values and resonates with our audience. Supporting this veteran-owned business is not only a testament to our shared ethos, but also a way to give back to those who have served our country. This partnership promises exciting content, collaborations, and surprises for all our listeners and the rodeo community. You can anticipate special episodes featuring the Rodeo Life experts and even a chance to win some Rodeo Life merchandise. We look forward to this journey with Rodeo Life and the enriching experience it will bring our audience. Join us as we venture into this partnership fueled by a passion for rodeo and a great cup of Rodeo Life coffee. 
Stay tuned for more exciting updates and the amazing things to come from the Rodeo Wagon Podcast and Rodeo Life Official. Make sure you go to rodeolifeofficial.com and check out all their sweet merch. Are you searching for that perfect statement? Look no further than Bluegrass Engraving, where creativity meets craftsmanship. Their specialty lies in creating custom buckles and dip cans, but that's not all. They redefine elegance with an exquisite line of jewelry. And for those who appreciate a little flair, check out their engraved guns collection. At Bluegrass Engraving, they don't just create products, they craft experiences. Visit Bluegrass Engraving today and let them turn your visions into engraved realities. Bluegrass Engraving, where artistry meets authenticity. Hey there, folks. I want to tell you about my favorite cowboy hat brand, Sombrero Brands. As a professional bull rider, I know how important it is to have a hat that not only looks good, but can withstand the toughest rides out there. And that's exactly what Sombrero Brands delivers. Their hats are custom-fitted and shaped to perfection, with a level of attention to detail that's hard to find these days. But what really sets Sombrero Brands apart is the fact that they're a family-owned and operated business. Mark and Kendall Holler, the owners, and their daughter Sarah, who's only 13 but already a hat-making prodigy, are all passionate about their craft. They know what it takes to make a cowboy hat that can stand up to anything the rodeo circuit can throw at it. And get this. The founder's grandfather, Polly Holler, was born and raised at South Camp on the Four Sixes Ranch. These folks have got cowboy blood running through their veins, and it shows in every hat they make. That's why I'm proud to have Sombrero Brands as a major sponsor for my podcast, the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. So if you're in the market for a hat that's tough enough to handle anything the rodeo throws at it, give Sombrero Brands a try. Trust me. You won't be disappointed. Somebody could have that trophy buck hauling around the back of their truck for a couple of days and, you know, and then take him in there and, and you could get some of that. And I, well, I just prefer to have what I got. And it's well, a lot yeah, fresher that way. Yeah. My, probably my favorite thing, like, especially around deer season when you, when it's still really fresh and it hasn't been frozen for very long is in the mornings mixing ground venison with eggs, a little salt and pepper, some onions, and maybe some mushrooms yeah. right there. If I could mix yeah. all that together, I could eat that all year round. <laughs> yeah. What do they call that? The raw hamburger meat? Like you just have, what is it? You sear the outside of it and then you grind it up and, and you mix the seasonings and stuff with it. And then you can just eat it with crackers. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I, I don't. I had it in Canada once when I was up there for the global cup deal. And, and um, um, it sounds amazing. McBride ordered some for our, for our group on the table. I was like, are you sure this is sanitized? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's all sanitary. He's like, everything, you know, they just grind the outside and, and then they grind it, run it straight through the grinder, make sure that the grinder is all clean, sanitized, you know. But yeah, yeah. and I was a, I'm a fan of it. I, I've been tempted to try a deer that way. Have you tried it? Uh, yeah, once. Uh, so uh, Danny Criteri, uh he put on the camp out there in Maxwell, New Mexico, and a couple of us uh, instructors that like to hunt that went out there, you know, for that, that year, uh, got to go to Raton up in New Mexico and go on a mountain there. There was a few cow tags donated, and, okay. uh, man, that, that was pretty cool right there. I okay. I. Oh, <laughs> I killed a big old nice cow and we were, oh man, we were 3000 feet when we started 
started up that mountain that day, we glassed them cows up on the top of that ridge, like 9,000 feet up there. There's right next to it that you can reach to Russia, you know, contact from Russia. And he's like, he was telling me all about it. And, and I'm talking, it's steep incline. It was three miles up there. And, um, yeah, and I'm from Tennessee. It's about 5,500 feet, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, no way to prepare for that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but that that day, yeah, we've been out there for about three or four days already, and Ed, you had to get one pin down, and he's like, well, do you want to drive the mule up there, or do you want to walk? I'm like, dude, let's not risk scaring them. Let's go. Let's let's walk. So we went we all through the wood line, and Finally got up there, and when we got to where they were, we couldn't find them. I thought, man, so figured they probably ended up sneaking over the ridge whenever we were coming through the woods, and so I figured I'd go take a peek. Well, I got away from my cover and uh, started up that ridge, and one of them heard me and, and spotted me as a calf, and man, gave me away. And so I just kind of like... I just walked backwards and didn't really look at him straight on. And, and I got behind this rock and I, and ended up dropping this cow. Um, it was crazy. It was, they told me at the Bass Pro Shop, I couldn't kill a cow with a 30 out six. I was like, you're crazy. Like, you can kill, you can kill a cow with a uh cow. -huh. yeah yeah And he's, he's like, well, you better get you a hollow point. I was like, okay. So actually when I, once I pulled the trigger, like, um, she was like looking straight at me ears up and i like i had no time to get this shot off hardly and i mean you gotta think i'm out of breath and everything at this point and like my adrenaline's going because we're only 40 yards from her and like my heart was pounding and so she goes to turn and i watched that shoulder move and i was like this i ain't got a, I ain't got a chance to wait you know hesitate Yeah. at all. It's just the shot a little bit. And I shot about the second rib back and it bounced off that rib, went up because, you know, we, we skinned her out and everything ourselves. And so I could kind of see, and well, it broke that rib, went up, hit the spine, came down and hit the inside of the
as in yeah no i got to see them and hear them bugle them, but it was from afar and so yeah i mean i've seen you know you've seen the videos where they come in through the woods and it's just like can't move <laughs> um i don't know i i that would be a lot of fun kill one with a bow yeah man uh so like obviously you do a lot of hunting but you're getting into the producing side and you've been how how long how many years have you been doing that deal in paris it's been a few years now years now uh first event i ever produced was in 2018 okay um I got the opportunity to put on one in Jackson, Tennessee at the Almond Arena. Um, so in 2006, it was my very first PBR event I ever went to was at the Almond Arena. And I was, um, I was always, I always loved that, that venue. It was so much energy, the way it was set up, it was a dome and everything there. And then the arena was real small and confined and you put the bulls outside and bring them down the ramp and, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a little, um, uh, gladiator step. It's like a little, and, little Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. It gives you the same feel yeah. and there's like 600 seats in there. Um, you know, it's a lot of seats. There's a lot of capacity. And so, um, I, I always loved that venue, uh, but, and, uh, tough Hedeman ended up taking over and doing the CBRs there pbr quit using it producing there well then pbr ended up buying the cbr out and that happened i contacted pbr and asked them if they were going to produce that event and they said no so i took over the contract and i put on that event four times i think it was and i mean it was really really good um i love that that venue again you know but like was able to move the event whenever the school district ended up purchasing the venue and okay. they said no more outside type of events coming in that they, they were going to modify it and put some money in and whatever so i ended up moving to the event to ut martin about an hour and a half away and was able to sell it out and just like jackson so the the venue there in martin uh it's a little different a lot different but um you know, it still had a good crowd, and uh, I just tried to put on the same show I put on there. And um, I've done well. I've done PBR in Paris like three times, I think, I think it was. Yeah. And um, you know, that venue's kind of a little bit similar to Martin, where it's got the stadium down each side, but I prefer the dome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. It's kind of, you know, everybody loves Albuquerque. I think that's why, you know, do you know that Albuquerque was set up the way it was for them to be able to sing and, and for the acoustics and everything that way it was like an amphitheater. Okay. Where yeah, yeah. Travel in a way. I didn't that know did, that, but it makes sense. Things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy loud. And that's why. It's inconvenient if you like, you know, get hurt and you have to walk up them stairs with a, you know. ACL yeah. or <laughs> panels down that place. Yeah, <laughs> and have, they uh, they hate that venue. <laughs> yeah, work goes involved. It uh, goes into that. It's involved in the event. You pull um, your groin and you have to walk up all of them flights of stairs. There ain't nothing worse than that. <laughs> well, I was I was blessed to be able to win Albuquerque. Um, in 2000, 
uh, what was it? Was it 19 or something like that? And I remember after every single, what is it? And is it, what, three days? I can't remember. Uh, two days? I should know. Is, I just was there. Um, um, two, two days. But, two days. It was this year anyway. I'm not sure if they had but, it as event before. Like, it's like going to Colorado and being like, all right, you got to, you got to walk up the, what is it? 3000 steps. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Walk up the steps and then you got to come back down them and then you got to ride your bull and then yeah. you got to go back there and then come back down and ride your bull. And I'm like, yeah, I was so tired. <laughs> Again, I'm not used to that altitude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My legs were killing me. I was like, I, my last bull that weekend, I was just exhausted, and uh, <laughs> and I rode him, and uh, it just like right there at the end, he sold sold the farm, like split the bit, took off, you know, and I was just so tired, like I was just like I was like way back here on the end of my arm when he took off, and I'm like. I set my feet like I was riding a bareback horse, like trying to get back over the front. And I finally got back over and I was like riding, riding, riding. And I was like, you know, he was talking earlier about just falling off the bull. Yeah. I was just <laughs> like, I was just like, whatever, just let me off. Yeah, man, and that's that's funny too, because like when a bull spits a bit, it's not it's a much worse thing because when they're going straight, it's so hard to get the momentum to get you out of there. You almost just have to like, you know, let go and just plop. <laughs> hit like a sack of taters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just hopefully they keep running and they don't freaking you know stop on a dime. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> But it was pretty funny. Was, but, when you're producing those events like that, like you know, are you are you, do you pay closer attention to like where you're doing the events or specific venues? Does it kind of all come into play a little bit as far as where to produce them? You know, it's just where you can. There's so many events going on these days, and, and I want to oversaturate one area, so I try to find. Uh, place that you know there's there's a there's a font there's a need for something and you know they don't maybe don't have a lot going on and you know I try to put on a good fun like a fun family type event you know like they, I don't you know I want it to be something that you know your your five-year-old your six-year-old can go to and have a blast like I try to do the mutton busting and I try to implement the mini bulls and mm -hmm. and the Lights and and try to have a good entertainer and Dave Showtime Meyer I like him he yeah you know, does, does a great job he's a great guy and you know I everybody loves him and you know I always try to follow up and figure out what people like and I listen and, and uh you know I'll let Dave know or whatever when we come back to it and use like well the people really want he's like well that's a lot of work I don't know about the time so I try to work it all out where he's like okay well you can do the you can you can put on the costume you'll have time you'll have this yeah. amount of time like everything laid out um you know where there's time to do everything because i don't know i just try to give the people what they want when it comes to that i mean they're the ones buying the tickets i try to make yeah. it affordable and you know i'm not corporate i'm not big corporate so i can do that you know yeah, I don't, I'm, right. yep yeah that's you what <laughs> 
you know, a, a family function where, you know, it's affordable and they're going to have a good time and they look forward to coming back. And, you know, just if I can take that to a small town and have some success, then, you know, them, a lot of them folks can't afford to go to a PBR event. I mean, the ticket prices are outrageous. And so, you know, to be able to try to uh, get a hotel room and and afford to take the family and you know it's nearly impossible for a lot of people so i can just bring something to a rural area that's nice that's what i try to do yeah and i i think too even i know you've added the pbr brand um yeah even having that brand is nice that people that aren't around you know these big cities and can't afford to take you know their family of five to you know a PBR event where the tickets are going to be, they're going to have to travel far and the tickets are going to be outrageous. It gives them opportunity to be able to go to a PBR event and still get to be a part of that PBR without, you know, an arm and a leg. And honestly, the kids probably like it more because there's probably more interaction. There is a lot of interaction. I try to keep it, keep it like that. And, um, but I still, even with the PBR and, and the big fees that I got to pay PBR to even have their name attached to it and things like that. I still try to make it affordable. Like my tickets are 25, you know, or $35, you yeah. know? So, um, with the PBR brand on it, I'm not making a lot of money because of that. Um, that's why the only one that I do that's a PBR is the PBR in Paris. Um, now if I can capitalize on a bigger venue and, and make it worth it, then I might, but, um, do you, what do you, what are your thoughts as a producer? Cause we've, a stew mason lowe the pbr one year uh, cornwell he does a couple of the pbrs and i've talked to both of them and like you know they, it's ten thousand dollars basically you're buying the pbr's brand you know or yeah. it was ten thousand like is there how much value from a producer standpoint is it to have the pbr versus you know in your marketing approach does it really help that much or well you know it I, I guess that probably depends on where you are. Um, you know, the, the phrase bull ride, you know, bull riding sells itself a lot of times where you go, you know? And so, I mean, like, I, you know, my open events, I'm, a, I'm able to make a lot more money off of those. Um, but there's a lot of people that do look at that name PBR and they're like, Oh yeah, this is a PBR. And, and, but then, you get into it, it's like, well, is such and such going to be there? Is Joe Jay, you know, all, so behind all, all these other people that are going to be there? And I'm like, well, I can't really tell you because this isn't TV. And so it, two weeks before, they're going to enter this deal, you know. and It may or may not just, be there. I'm hoping that they're there, you know. But, I'd love, yeah. love for them. You, you've been, you've actually, so you've gotten good riders at your events. Cornwell, yeah. he's done a good job of getting riders at his events. But it's still that's still a serious thing like for the fans like and i'm sure that's hard for a producer is if you are putting a pbr and you do get one of these guys they may or may not be there for you know a various amount of reasons they could it could be a team deal you know that's going on yeah so it's it's really for that name and you don't know who you're getting um i know that it's just as beneficial for me to take that extra money that i'm giving pbr and put it into uh you know add the money to a bull team challenge and and bring your own riders that's awesome because them guys are going to bring the bulls that 
uh, and I love the bull teams. I, I know most bull riders love the bull teams because you're getting on a rider friendly bull when you're going in Insta all, you don't know what you're getting on, but say like the rider friendly bull teams and, and it's bring your own rider, them guys, they, you know, they bring team of bulls and, and they'll bring a rider that wants to get on that bull. And they're like, you know, they're gunning ready to get on. So you see a lot of great bull rides that way. You may not know them by name, but it's a good show. And yeah, for the fans, that's a huge deal. Cause I don't, deal. you don't want to what... be a fan. You don't want to be a fan, show up to a bull ride and there not be any bull rides. Nobody wants that. If you're bringing the kids to watch, you want to make sure. Yeah. But that's, that's why I really like the rider for in the bull team events and make it a bring your own rider type deal. Um, personally, I think that's my favorite to produce. Um, I can add, you know, I I can add good money for the guys, and and I think it's it's just as good a show. Yeah, and that probably takes a lot off too, as far as time, as far as like you're, you know, as a producer, you're hiring guys, you got to get the stock. So by even taking that, you know, and making it a bull team, that's taking giving you a little bit more time to be, make the production better, maybe in other areas as well. Yeah, with PBR though, I mean, I was able to get those big riders there because I was I made it a challenge, like you know the big deal. Uh, so it was a tier one. Yep. By adding, you know, twenty thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, isn't it twenty thousand or more? It's tier one, and that makes a huge difference for guys trying to get points. Huge difference. Right. Oh yeah, and that's why they'll come is because they know that they're going to be able to capitalize on on more points. And I mean, what's interesting is. Some of it's money, but I think it's more points than it is money at that point, too. Exactly. And so, you know, you could do a 10,000 guaranteed turn pro, and you, you could take that that extra money that you would pay out for a tier one, and you could pay out, you know, the the 10,000 guaranteed, and you can also get them there that way because that's that's also candy in the pocket. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, well... I can go here and I can, if I win, I can guarantee 10,000 or I can go over there and I can guarantee this world points. Well, money talks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and even going to that tier one, you're not going to win $10,000. So, yeah, you no know, good. yeah. So, yeah, unless it's a uh, ABBI classic or something like that. There's only three guys stay on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah true <laughs> was you got your hands full <laughs> and and like i said i do the bull teams so you know you get you get on something nice yeah and, and anymore i like the bull teams at first i i wasn't a huge fan of the bull teams because they were super hit or miss on whether they were going to be a bunch of 78 point bulls or good ones but i feel like the the industry the bull team industry has grown enough where the guys have a really good feel on what bulls to bring and you can get on a good bull that's going to put you in the winner circle you know, one that you should ride, but if you do, you'll be 88 on them. Yeah. And that's like, um, you know, it depends on, and, and if you're, it, I don't know, that's kind of like the draw a little better because some, some of them contractors will bring better bulls and it gives you a better chance to win. Yeah. And riding for a guy that he, he knows that he's going to bring an 83, 80, 82, 83 point bull and hope that you get that eight second ride so he can get 
almost guarantee his say he's 82 you get eight second ride that's eight points added to his score so that's 90 but it really ain't going to help you in the winner circle yeah. you know um but you got them other guys that are like um well i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna bring this bull but if it's a bring your own rider like the guy at lj jenkins bull riding in vegas this week you know i he brought a really good bull and he had Dalton Castle lined up. Well, Dalton Castle, you know, he's a bull riding little dude. Well, he rides that some gun for 91 points. And and what happens? They they both win. You know, yeah. so I mean, always get that. But you do have the advantage when you have access to them them great bull riders like that and them great bulls. And that's yeah. yeah. And so I mean, that's that's the benefit of, you know, as as a bull rider of the bull teams being a draw sometimes because you don't always have access to those guys who have the great bulls because sometimes they, they already have their guys lined up. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I'm kind of where, where I'm from, like I didn't, you know, Missouri, there, there were some guys like, and, and I've got on a couple bring your own riders of LJs. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm almost six foot. I'm kind of a lankier guy and I don't really, the way I ride's a little bit more compact. Like I'm not getting stretched out. You know, that's just not my riding style. So I find that the bring your own rider deals are not really a benefit to me just because if me and Keith Hall, for example, or me and Andrew Alfedrez and they're, you know, five, five. And, you know, if they get one strapped, they're going to get maybe three points on me. If it's the same bull, I'll be 85. They'll be 88 every day. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think the, the draw I I have better chances on the draw. Like I'm, I have a better chance of getting on a Bucky Bull, and you know, opposed to every single bring your own rider. Like, hey, I need to find the guy that has, you know, the buckiest bull there, and I just gotta hope that I can find that guy because if that guy has already found a guy that's been on that bull three times, I'm probably not gonna get on him. <laughs> yeah, and then you have you know the great contractors. They have you know have all the top-notch bulls and typically you know they have you know, top-notch bull riders come into their place to practice and tune yeah. it and warm up yeah and so that already he's already been you know proven he's gonna get, he's he's probably gonna ride this so he's been on the practice been three or four times at least you know yeah definitely i think it's benefited a lot of guys that have a really good relationship with stock contractors and are close to them i think that's a huge benefit well, heck, the yeah. teams the teams this year, what was the rule they made where it was like, if you draw a bull of your coaches, you can't get on him during the week or something like that? I forget what team it was. Was it the Outlaws or something where they were getting on JW's bull during the week because they knew they had drawn him that weekend? <laughs> that's that is one of the advantages. I mean, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Hey, I'm all, I'm all about it. Like until it's until it's a rule, you can't do this. You better be doing it because it's giving you an edge. <laughs> exactly. I'm start. Uh, I got an idea for uh, a new kind of deal, and I'm not going to talk too much and elaborate on that right now um, because it's it's not been pinned down. But yep. uh, it it's something that could change the game for bull riders. And uh, and the sport of bull riding. Looking Man, forward. 
Yeah, that would be be cool. I think there's becoming different ways to do things, and I don't think enough producers have experienced with maybe different formats or different types of uh, series and and all of these kind of things. That it, traditionally, it's it's been one way for so long, but yeah. I think that maybe in the next few years we'll start to see some some cool cool different formats that may benefit the fans and the writers and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, and, you know, it's, it's really going to level things up as far as your show goes too. Yeah. You know, idea. And, and, I don't know. Be something to experiment with and, and see how it turns out. But um, man, I, these bulls are just such athletes these days. And, you know, it's amazing the the ability that they have and, Gosh, like you look at, um, and we talk a lot about this, but we don't talk about, uh, I don't think we elaborate enough on it's the genetics that makes them buck. And that's been going on for years. And it's no more uh, going to the cell barn and getting this bull and taking bull riding and having a great house, you know, a great out anymore. It's, yeah, you could probably go get you a cell barn bull anymore. And, and that, and, collect a you know 20 30 coals and have you a pretty decent set of bulls but it wasn't like that back in the day you had like probably what one out of a hundred that was yeah good bull but you know the um i mean the coals nowadays <laughs> i got on one of jerry nelson's coals um when i was probably oh what was I, about 18 19 years old and went 92 points on him i mean <laughs> it's he would buck them once, and if they didn't buck, then he's getting rid of them. You're well, rid of it, yeah. I'll take all your coals. <laughs> <laughs> and and he'd get bulls like that. And I mean, um, and just think about how far it's come since then. Yeah, <laughs> you look. I remember when you remember when the bulls were so small and compact, and then the Brazilians all came up here. And well, okay, well now we need to build these bulls up. We need to grow them. They did uh, too. <laughs> and uh but before it was we want them compact because they're more athletic well then they you know that brazilian rope it, it would pull pretty snug and them guys they'd, they'd take a tight rope well now we need to build that bull up because and the guys are getting stronger too you know um not just the bulls but the guys you know that are yeah. we look at our regimen we look at our our nutrition all of the you know everything that our knowledge is providing us these days and 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 bull riding is no longer going to the bar and getting drunk and going and having a good ride the next day. It's you're going to bed, you're getting you a good night rest, and all the young guys are being that way. They're at, they're treating it like a sport and they're treating themselves like athletes and and they're working out all through the week and and that's and that's what's really you know I mean brought it to the new new level. I mean you you're looking at the team deals and I mean you got trainers involved uh, with them and, and helping them, their, their diets and, and their workout regimens. And I mean, they got game to be, to be a player, you know what I mean? So um, that's anybody in the sport of bull riding nowadays uh, that I remember, you know, back in the day, JB saying he didn't work out that he stretches out the first jump. <laughs> <laughs> But even he stepped up. I mean, he's. I remember seeing him warming up one day, and I'm like, "What are you doing over there?" He's like, "Well, <laughs> he's like, I'm a little older now. I'm having to, 
He's like, I don't stretch out like a you know, that first jump. It's something out there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, we, uh, the bulls are just that much stronger, too, and they're bigger. And, and well, they're you like, told me. You told me at the beginning and and like early in my career, I felt like I didn't go through bull ropes that often. And then I remember you coming up to me because my rope collapsed on me that event. And you said, yeah, at this level, you're going to go through a lot more rope. So you may start buying them sooner. And after that, I, I always said, I need to I need to have a good rope on me all the time, maybe two. Because you don't want, you know, you talk about that and elaborate, you know, you don't want that handle to get sloppy yeah. because. You, know, you got that block and it needs to stay strong because that's where, you know, you're able to anchor, you know, and, and be able to make your moves from. Well, if that that thing is, if it's just rolling over and it's like this right here, well, if it does this and the bull's turning back away from your hand and that rope's rolling this way, well, look what my shoulders are yeah. doing, you know. And if he's really trying to, you know, I mean, if he kicks clean over his head and pushes like, hard off that front end like it does what are you what's stopping you from going over the front end you know so that's you got to kind of have that uh that strong bull rope these days you know that strong handle and uh then bulls are at that level you know they'll really break it down yeah you you don't have room for that movement like that there's that has to be an anchor that's one thing i've learned with my bull rope it has to be an anchor you want a stiff handled you know not sloppy like that because you're riding, you don't you don't have the luxury to give them bulls anything. And if they can take that much from you, just a little bit of movement could throw you out of time on a really good bull that's really strong. Like you get that off and that can be, you know, that could be the end of the bull ride. Well, and like Adriano Morales, you know, he he used to teach to go, you know, here and, and you know, you making a bigger move opens you up yeah. to the bull now they've tightened it up because the bulls are so much faster yeah. and and down that it's here <laughs> and so you're not making you're not able to open and move like you you know everything's got to be more tight and like you're saying your riding style fits that yeah 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 i've i've spent millions of hours i feel like uh, especially on the drop okay. barrel and everything yeah, you got that buck right, and I I got one too, and I love it. Like that's been a great, um, a great tool for my workout regimen. Well, and I think I'll as even... I've gotten older too, because you think of like fighters, like in MMA and stuff. I was listening to a podcast with Rogan. He was talking to one of those UFC guys, and like the difference on how many of these guys are sparring hard, you know, which would be the equivalent to get on practice pools, and then there's some guys that are you know, freaking they're doing a lot of their, you know, more drill stuff that's non-contact and it's really sport specific. And yeah, it's, yeah. But when you, when you do the, I think with my buck, right, like I'll, I'll implement riding them to my workout. Yeah. So I got it in my work and I'll go out there and I'll hit me, a, hit me around in the weights and, or whatever it is that I got that day. And then I, you know, my break, uh, you know, you, you get your cool down. Well, that's up there. That's on my book wrap. And so I'm, you know, I've got the muscles and everything, you know, warmed up and I'm working, but then I'm working on my mind, I'm yeah. working on my mood, yeah. working on the, And then, and then once I, I've gotten to the point where I'm, you know, I feel good on it. I'll do that for a minute or two or a while. And, and then I'll just take me a break. I'll go, you know, not 
take my break from the book or I'd go back to work now. Yeah. And so, you know, like interval training. Yeah. I, and, I incorporated interval training with my buck, right? When, when I'm all the yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a treadmill for bull riders. <laughs> yeah. It's great cardio. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the muscles that you need to work. hundred, And you don't, you can't hit them. It's, I know that you can do stuff in the gym it, to get that live feel of those muscles engaging at the right timing. Like that's you're using muscles you're not used to using, and so that drop barrel helps you build up those muscles. I think it's huge for endurance for if you are getting on two bulls or you're getting on three bulls, like your body's used to that. Yeah, and like you're talking about shadow boxing, yeah. you know, and there in the mirror. Well, like I have a mirror I can set up, and and I can and I can watch and make sure my shoulders are level, and you know where I'm putting my knees and. I can just see it. And if you can see it and you then and you can visualize it, uh, then when you're riding, you don't have to focus on the ride because you've already been, you know, it's and and and, you know, there and you've already uh developed the muscle memory. And so I don't really see bulls that much when I ride them. I'm just more so I'm feeling them and I'm reacting to them. It's a there's a guy, um, uh, Dr. David Cook, and he's a sports psychologist, and he worked with a lot of golfers and stuff, but he had this thing that he calls see it, feel it, trust it, you know, and he talks about, you know, you really have to paint the picture, you know, in the golf, you have to see the shot, you have to see and visualize what's going to happen to perfection, and then you have that feel, and then once you have this, the, the visualization and that feel, you just trust it, you just go, and how important is that in bull riding? So important, but the it's a little bit of a different concept because you know how far you got to hit that ball. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, know what the swing is going to look like. You know how big the ball is. You got a you got a club that's going to be able to, <laughs> you know, put it where you want it, and uh, and you know the layout of the ground. Yeah. When you get full. It's all totally unpredictable. All you know is what you've got. That's your tool. This is what we've worked on. We built that thing. We didn't. We didn't rely on a company to build one that would work for this bull. Like yeah. this, got to work for every single one of them. Yeah. And I got the rope, and I got my spurs, and um, and I got whatever else I put into it. You know, so I think um, the feel. I think the feel aspect. There's there's so much of a feel aspect in board because. Me and Kyler were talking about how, how, how quickly your mind and your body can communicate together. Like you're thinking in 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 bull riding, there's times where there's a billion thoughts that go through your mind. You don't even remember them. Like this is unconscious thoughts. These are thoughts that you're not consciously thinking of, but they're so connected to your physical body that you're able to make those moves and corrections. Yeah, I mean, I know you you get really tapped off on one, and you can hear the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And and you think for just a second, like you you, it's and it's not even a second; it's a millisecond that you had a thought would go through your mind. It's like when you your hips were out just a little bit, and you really felt that halt. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, I asked but a half a jump because you just moved and yeah. reset, right. <laughs> and it, you know. Like you're talking about, it just happens like that. And there's what, and what you think, how many, how many jumps you think uh, 
bull makes on average in eight seconds. In eight seconds? I'd say probably 10 to 15 jumps. Probably. It, it probably depends. I mean, a lot of it, I'm sure, depends on the style of bull. But I'd say at the high level, probably 10 to 15. You know, they're moving. Even the ones yeah. that have a lot of airtime are moving. Uh, yeah. You know, it, that's my guess, probably. Yeah, but, but you know, you think of, you break down those movements, though, because, you know, 10 to 15, you know, moves like that. There is there's tons of, of movements within that. That bull is changing leads. He's making flying lead changes. Some, some of them bulls are doing literally flying lead changes where they're changing leads in the air. And if you yeah. don't have the perfect timing and you can't feel that leads change, you're not going to be in the right spot. Bushwhacker did it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got around like four times. <laughs> and he, was I, he ever in the same lead? I mean, I think I've seen a video of him change leads twice in the air, like go from a lot, right lead to a left to a right. I literally felt it the last time I got exactly what you're talking about. He was, <laughs> he was gotten hit older, um, and I got on him in Nashville, and he turns to the left right there, and I'm like, I got you here, you know, and I thought if he went out there and turned back to the left like he used to, I did have it. Well, then immediately back to the right. And and whenever he did, I was just right where I needed to be. And it just brought me back around that right with him. Well, that old sucker, he felt it, I guess. And like you're talking about, just went to take that next jump and ended up six or eight feet back down the other side of the bucking shoot real long and just jerked me over his head. <laughs> <laughs> go i'm like and that was the time i was like i'm not picking him again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that, uh, that bull did it but there's a lot of bulls that will do that in the air and especially those bulls and you talked about that one bull earlier bulls that their front end leaves the ground and then their back end hits and actually goes up and so it's disconnected they have the ability to almost change leads in the air and if you're not like specifically paying if you don't have the feel right that's why you'll see a bull that will be going to the left and in the air, he'll switch over to the right lead without hitting the ground first and immediately. Well, yep. They got, they know how to move their body around, you know, they'll roll them hips around. And, and when they do that, their spine, you know, will push you one way. <laughs> or the and so that's an important part of not being on your butt, you know, yeah. but some, but, being in that right spot where you're not too far forward because when they hit and they, you know, people don't realize that a bull can be spinning and he looks easy to ride, but it could be moving away from you and then moving ahead and then back and then tightening it up. And so you, he could be trying to work you to the outside, over the front, over the back, down in the well. There's just so much more than what meets the eye. You Especially don't know. at that high level. I feel like yeah. the high level bulls even more like one of the biggest differences I saw between getting on the UTB and then uh, being off of it is those bulls, even the ones that look the same, they hit so much harder. Those bulls on tour are hitting so much harder. They're even when they're moving forwards and stuff, it almost, they almost try to whip, whip you down on their head without, yeah. you know, just because they're hitting so hard. It's not even that they're sucking back. It's just the amount of force that they're hitting with pushing off to make that next move. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they really launch themselves. They can, you know, like they're like a, it's like, um, Judd Mortensen. He says, how do you ride a rocket ship? 
well, how would you, how would you ride a rocket ship? He was like, if you had to get on the thing, I'm like, well, I guess I just have to get down and just, you know, like, <laughs> just hang on. Like, you know, you, I don't know. It's almost the same idea and same concept. If you think about the way them bulls are taking off, you got to get real, real low. If you're sitting up, it's just going to leave you on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And you can't but, beat them out too. You beat them out and then you get slid back. That's, that's the, and it's the worst too when you know it. Like you left before them and you're like, dang, like you're just hoping that they're going to make a move that's going to set you up on your rope. Big <laughs> part of, you know, having a successful ride is that how you leave the buck and shoot that first jump out. That's going to determine a lot because you're either playing catch up or you're having to slow down. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to do both. It's really hard to slow down and let one catch up to you because they're so smart these days. If you're ahead of them, they're going to feel you and they they can feel a fly on their back. So I guarantee they know where you're at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, they definitely do. I think that's one of the biggest things when I when I started really getting in the flow and I started riding a lot more bulls uh, was focusing on leaving like on better bulls. Like like before, you know, everybody's got their own little zone they get into. And like my zone is specifically, I get super aggressive because naturally I'm more laid back. But like when I get, when it's time to go, I'm going to war. So I get really aggressive and I make sure that when I'm leaving, my only focus is when I nod my head, it's leaving with them. Everything else will happen, but like I I need to make sure that this is the one jump that I have the most control over. I have the most control over when they leave. So I better leave with them. Yeah, Mike Lee, he's he really elaborated on that whenever he and I started traveling together. He's the one that told me that actually. Is he? Mike, okay. Mike Lee is the one that yeah. We traveled together for about six and a half years and he coached me a lot. He taught me so much. And um that that was one thing that he had always and I remember uh heck last time I seen him, uh, I was out there in Vegas at LJ's deal and I got on one and the bull kinda acted goofy in there, you know. He, he was kind of squatting back a little bit when I took him and then he jumped forward and then backed up and turned out of there. And when he turned back, he turned back so fast he hit his head, which I was already over the front. He said, yeah, when you left out of there, you're just a little bit too far forward. Yeah. You know, that was, um, <laughs> and so Mike, he's, he's a great teacher. And um, so I, I was very blessed to be able to run as many years and many bull runs as I did with him. Yeah, I went to uh, a couple with him. He told me that in Billings um, one year, and I I was getting caught. <laughs> yeah, I was getting yeah. caught, getting hung out like I was leaving before him, and I was getting caught up over the front end and just freaking, you know, I'd either make a really good bull ride or I'd get freaking, you know, I I, I didn't really get whipped down. I just get caught up over their heads, and they would freaking helicopter me and everything. And he told me, he's like, you need to settle down and make sure you're leaving with those bulls. He said, if you watch me, like, I'm really loose. <laughs> That's one, th- one thing he always told me, too, was he's like, you're, you're a little stiff in the shoulders. <laughs> Take them and then nod. And, uh, all right. So, I don't know. It works. Um, but another thing that works for me is, you know, kind of like JB does. I, and I discovered it, you know. When you're when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, they had me on the clock 
bull he's kind of acting you know squatted back and um my rope wasn't right or something i think i might have readjusted it and nate he's out there on the gate latch and i think i had like five seconds left and i just looked back at him and i'm like you ready <laughs> and i'm sitting back by the flank and i'm i'm take my last you know take the rope across my hand the last time while i'm looking at him and i'm like and He's looking at me and I'm like, I'm looking at him and I'm back here. I'm like, Bucky, because <laughs> I knew if you, you know, if you nod before time's up, oh yeah, they got to let, they got to, you know, they got to count it. Uh -huh. So I knew at that point, just a couple seconds left on the clock. So I figured, you know, if I'm sitting right here and I try to get up there, if the bull X goofy if he bucks around and i don't get settled in I, heck i only got two seconds here at that point probably to make it happen you know right so so i was just like well he's got that replay they'll see it. i nodded right. you know <laughs> and so i yeah i just reached up there far in front and was like bucking you know just as soon as i put my hand my my last put my tail in there you know and brought it back around to the last wrap bucking like that and i slid straight to my rope as the gate was open and, and I went around that day, I mean, just right there in the gate around the left and the back around the right. And I rode him dead easy. And I remember uh, a couple of them judges, you know, was like, why ain't you been doing that all along? And I tell you what, it, it set, set a new bar for me. Like I, I started doing that from then on, just as soon as I took that rap, let's go, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, my feet and everything would land right where they needed to. Yeah. And I was leaving with him and I didn't have time to get up there and get a hold of him. And, and all that does is creates an opportunity for you to think. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, it's such a big deal. And I, that one of the things that I pride myself on is I've only been put on the clock one time. The other, yeah. I've been put on it twice, but, and they were both on UTBs. And the, the other time, I was nodding my head when they put it on there, so it really wasn't. But, um, and, you know, one of the things that, like, when you start to sink. So when you're in there, and I know some of the guys, you know, they do that, and they get in that spot. And I feel like whenever your mind starts getting in the position where it's like things aren't perfect, that's when you need to just go. Because the, you're actually getting away from your reactionary, you know, your the thought process that's going to be no thought where you're just reacting so sometimes i'll even forcefully do it if i notice that like i'm getting in the i'm getting too comfortable about sinking in the shoots i'll start to just kind of go just to get my mind back to like extreme focus <laughs> it's that yes yeah, that laser focus and you know where you don't think you just like you say you react and um really i mean uh, we ought to be able to get in that buck and shoot and be out of there in 30 seconds yeah and honestly, I, I'd rather them too. The bulls have gotten so big. A lot of them lean. I'd rather a sucker get in there and start bucking in the chute. And um, you get the timing of them, and it's not a big deal. Then when they're freaking like big old freaking fat hogs just leaning on you, and you're just like, dang. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand one just to lean and probably <laughs> Like, they're too big for all that these days. Well, um, now they're putting like 40 ropes on them. I went to last year. I forget what UTB it was. I watched four ropes on a bull. Four ropes. They had his hip flanked, his uh, neck tied to the side. Um, 
his the thing over top. There, there's a bunch of different ways he they had him tied in. It's wild. Yeah, and then probably left the gate open and tied to the. Uh, oh, hang on. Somebody tried to call me. Um, I've I've actually been on one that was so big that they couldn't shut the slide behind him. So Did they you had get on Mississippi Hippie. I've got on him probably three or four times too. Okay. I've I know <laughs> I've seen some videos of that where they had to they couldn't shut the the back of the yeah seat. yeah no they just take and, and run a run a flank rope behind him <laughs> keep him in there. <laughs> you would think but, that would uh, be dangerous for them leaving, but I guess not because they did it. Like you'd think if yeah. they kick straight up, they're they're not cleared. You wouldn't think so, but I don't know. I don't know. I figured they it got out. him up to twenty six hundred pounds. I think was his highest competing weight. That's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I remember you know your body on your rope, you adjust it, and so you know your your loop is smaller on a bigger bull. And I remember almost nearly just not having any room to. Tell <laughs> or <laughs> on that guy so like when i'd get on him i'd know i was like all right just let your rope out all the way all the way yeah you know what you know what after you've been on him once you know your rope size it's all the way right. out <laughs> i got on a three-year-old at the calgary stampede that was that he was 20 um like 2350 holy crap and a three-year-old i'm like that's crazy and people uh, people talk about so how big this is. People talk about weight, like they say two thousand pounds. Most of the bulls are not two thousand pounds. Would you say seventeen hundred is the average weight? Maybe sixteen. Oh, I mean that's a big bull. Um, I would say average. Um, and we've done a lot of those weigh-ins. You're looking at like fourteen, fifteen hundred. So when we're talking twenty three, twenty six hundred, we're talking stupid amount of weight. Like we're talking, you know, thousand pounds over what an average bull is <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy it's like uh who would you think like a heavyweight going against uh you know a featherweight <laughs> and, uh, of course we're always the featherweight in the match yeah, but, yeah no joke yeah um but yeah definitely i mean yeah it'd be like more like a middle like a middleweight and a featherweight you know on average. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have a chance you might yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no uh, i i think the uh maybe the biggest the biggest bull i ever got on was in tacoma washington i got on a bull named painted pudge he was originally from canada big old black and white bull and i want to say he weighed in at 2650 holy crap yeah I think the biggest one I've ever actually been on road was twenty three hundred. The biggest yeah. that I've been on here yeah. that I know well, that I know for a fact. I'm pretty sure that one's the biggest because I never got on hippie. There's only a few bulls out there that are that big. Yeah, and I don't think hippie was that at that. He might have he might have been near he, that. Got on him, but he was, I know. I think he was between twenty two hundred and twenty six. Twenty six the most, and he may have competed at twenty two, twenty three most of the time. Yeah, well, I know that. Uh, I know that they said they just weighed that painted pudge because they brought him down. Yeah, and, uh, and that's that's what he weighed when I got on him. But uh, I say that's probably the biggest bull. I 
You know, there's been a lot of bull. I, I, I didn't know exactly how much they weighed, but I know that um, probably the first real big bull I ever got on was in Cheyenne when I was uh, maybe 18 or 19 years old. And he was a huge brindle. Gosh, he had me a little bit like, I wasn't intimidated, like scared. I was just like, man, like this bull's, I really didn't know what to expect at that. You know, uh, I'm like, golly, like he's huge. He's probably super strong. And I imagine being in Cheyenne, like he's probably going to get it, you know, and just bring it. And I don't want to be late. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they actually called him double XL. <laughs> and, um, uh, he, they said, yeah, he should be right there in the gate. So whenever he turned back to the left, right in my hand, uh, what I do, I just dove right in there and wasted myself. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but hey, you got to learn at some point. <laughs> that was when I realized I was like, yeah, okay. You ride him just like the rest. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Man, you know what's funny? You speaking of just diving off in there is. So last year, me and Dakota were going all we were going to UTBs and and velocities, but we were getting on really good bulls every single weekend. And then it was like I don't know if the summer had just kicked off or there was just an off weekend. There was nothing going on. Um, and we went to a little deal, and just both of us just freaking first jump out of there, just dove off in there. We're probably on nineteen point bulls, and you go to like a a true twenty two pointer, you know. Like a, yeah. a true blue twenty-two pointer, the bucking bull right there. You know that's a forty-four point bull. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then you go to something that's like so slow, and you're just like, man. <laughs> yeah, it's you really got to learn how to compensate, and that's where that first jump comes in hand. Like by the second jump, almost all to have them figured out. Yeah, my you know? when I first started, Ray Cox, you know, kind of helped me out a lot, and. Uh, he was a boxer too and he's like you know I, I look at bull riding a lot like boxing the the fights won the first three rounds if you win the first three rounds you should win the fight but yeah. you know i think if you can if you can get that timing within the first three rounds of a bull ride you know you have a really good chance that you should be able to finish that well and a lot of them bulls if you think about it and you've watched it enough you realize that they sort of settle into a, a rhythm about that time uh, you know they once they get out there they're still throwing a bunch of stuff at you but then once you make it through all that you know about four or five seconds they're really starting to get the pattern laid out and yeah. just kind and, of, and a lot of even, it's rare that you don't that you find one that don't wait for the whistle he just keeps doing that yeah right yeah and there's they're definitely out there and heck with the breeding i think they're it's becoming more but even the ones that the intensity stays the same you still got that timing so you know unless they're doing something crazy you still have that timing there i got that and, uh, nowadays i'm seeing more and more bulls reverse in the span once it, or or you know jump out of it and do something you know one of those throw a big wild horse fit or something but um it's just they're so unpredictable uh, yeah and i think that they their energy level you know to go with, along with their you know their diet and everything and, and they work these bulls out too like they'll swim them and exercise them and therapy so there's just, therapy and everything uh and so i mean yeah they're not getting as tired and you know settling in near as much as they used to but uh not at that level yeah but well, it's been awesome having you on here. Uh, I'll definitely do it again. I need to make a trip down. 
here in the, the next few months, I need to make a trip down to Tennessee and uh, we'll do some, do some cool stuff and um, do a it, podcast. It, I've been thinking about doing a school here lately and I've talked to Mike about coming out to Tennessee and, and trying to get something going on. Love to have you come down and see if we couldn't maybe uh, get something going. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, it would be. Heck yeah. I'm man. I'm all about, that's what I, the reason I started Western edge and, you know, I know you've, you've talked about the production side is like, how can we make this, this demographic, this community better? You know, like we live in a world where technology spread everything apart like let's start actually kind of coming together as a community, you know, in the, the Western world, it needs it. You're from the East, you know, on this side of the, on, are you there? On yeah. this, or, this side of the river over here. We don't, you know, we don't have the opportunities to be able to go and get on, you know, that caliber of bulls and to learn from that, you know, those guys, they're far and few over here. You got, you know, you and, me and JB and we're all in three different states right there. And um, kind of, you know, these guys that want to come, they're up and comers. They're all the time messaging me and like, where can I go and learn how to ride bulls? Where can I go get on more bulls? And, you know, so, I mean, I think it'd be good to, you know, create an opportunity at least to give them some foundation for when they do go and that guy wants to put them on that bad booger, at least they got a chance riding. Well, and, and you know, I I get it all the time too. A bunch of guys asking me the same questions and, you know, from where you're at and from why I'm, it, we're not in Texas. So these guys coming up, it's not like they can just go anywhere. They can't just, you know, go to the next sit, city or the next town and and uh, really find how to do this and do it properly. But I definitely think it's needed in this side of the country. Well, let's get it going. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's good to talk to you. Heck yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you go check out Cody Nance. One of the best to ever do it. One of my heroes, bull riding. Even better friend now. It's a pleasure having you on here. Talk to you guys later.